life until I found the Job Corps. I had three meals a day. This program, the government, Linda Johnson started. I didn't know what three meals a day was all about. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner gave me a change of clothes and started to pick up some self-esteem. Thank goodness for that job, Corps. George, at 19 years old, you won the gold medal at the 68 Mexico City Olympic Games, and that was a very interesting Olympic Games, as you know, with John Carlos and Tommy Smith raising their fist on the victory stand. Can you go back and tell me, because there were riots in the street down in Mexico City, for a young kid like you, what was that environment and what that experience like at the oh, Olympic Games? Oh, boy, those were not the days to be patriotic at all. And don't think, and that's where the meanness in me came alive, because after I walked around the ring just to tell everybody where I was from. I didn't mean to protest or anti-protest. People got mad. How could you raise that flag when the brothers did this? Or how could you do this? I just want the world to know that I, I was from America. And I come from a compassionate society that had not given up on me. And I waved that flag. But when I got back home, boy, they called me names that last forever. And I got a chip on my shoulder, and I made certain that if you were going to call me that name, it had better been in secret. <laughs> Did that name, Uncle Tom, bother you most of all? No, it wasn't that. You know, just, you know, how could I do that? And your turncoat and blah, blah, blah. Nobody ever called me in a name, I can tell you that. Nobody. I made sure that if they did, they wouldn't do it but once in, 19- in, their, in their lifetime. <laughs> Five years <laughs> later. It, it, was, it was by way of a letter, huh? Five years later, in 1973, you became uh, the heavyweight champion of the world when you defeated uh, Joe Frazier in Kingston, Jamaica. Were you ready to become champion at that age? Oh, I was. So, you know, when you say me- mentally, I was in a, uh, like an adolescent state. To become a millionaire overnight, able to buy everything you want, became frustrated because I couldn't find anything else to buy. I didn't know what. I thought instantly you become champ of the world and you become wealthy, you're supposed to be I found nothing but loneliness. It was just nothing. Which is harder, becoming a champion or staying a champion? I think it's, uh, oh, boy, staying a champion has got to be top. It's a hard thing to become champion, but to stay there, understanding that you got to keep the same humbleness and fear that you had being a contender, feeling like I'm starting from the bottom and working my way up. A lot of times you get on top and there's only one way to go, and it's down because you get complacent. You've talked in this book uh, much about the, the fact that you were drugged. Uh, go into that story, because I had heard the story from Barry Tompkins, uh, who you worked with on HBO, but, but a lot of people may not know that story. Yeah, and I, I told that story right after the fight. That's where the term rope-a-dope originated back. Uh, I complained that someone put something in my water. I haven't felt good after that fight. I never felt like that before. And uh, when I went to my dress room, my manager, Dick Sadler, gave me my customary water that only he would have the bottle and taped up to. And I told him it tastes like medicine. He told me it was the same water as always. He bluffed me, and I drank some more just to make certain I wouldn't offend him. And I drank some more. And uh, that was medicine in that water. What it was, I don't know. But I had the same water daily, and it never tastes like that. And I wrote that part because I felt betrayed, and I even had more hate and distrust. And and I wrote it so young people can understand the only way you can find man, because especially in, in these sports, you get managers who take advantage of your, of athletes' money, uh, lawyers who they think who are working for them or working on the other side, teams tell you to go get an operation on your knee, we're going to keep you, and then they read in the newspaper they've been traded. And I had to meet these kids, these young men on the street, and preach to them forgiveness. The only way I found my forgiveness 
I mean, my peace of mind from those that bottle bottle of water was my forgiveness. And I'm certain that I can. I wrote that story so that other people can find ways to forgive people so they can find peace of mind. And in the book, you again write, I knew well that bitter taste of rejection when I lost my heavyweight boxing title to Muhammad Ali. Everyone loves a winner, but few reporters want to interview the person who loses. My friends in Hollywood stopped calling me when I was champion. Bob Hope called me to be on his shows. After I lost to Ali, he never called again. One rejection after another seemed to have a domino effect. Fewer people were asking for my autograph. The sports magazines wanted pictures of Ali instead of me. In the world of sports, sometimes you're only as popular as your last victory. How did you deal with that, and how did you overcome it? Almost. You know, I was devastated when I lost that boxing match. And then also a whole other world opened up to me to understand that you're not on top, you're not champion of the world, someone else is, and they're going to be treated as such, which is good.